I got to be honest, it really pisses me off when WWE knows that there's like a big sporting event or something big going on, like NBA Finals Game 5 on Monday night, and they say, you know what? Screw it. Let's just mail in this this episode of Monday Night Raw. Now, if I'm not doing the podcast, I'm probably not even going to watch Raw on Monday night. I'm just going to watch the NBA Finals, but now I got a DVR, and it screws up my Tuesday, my Tuesday morning, my Tuesday night. Like, can they try and put a good show on, guys, even when there's Monday Night Football or the NBA Finals or something? I mean, that would have been a great take if they didn't also mail in Tuesday Night Smackdown this week. It was it was a rough week. It really kind of made you re- re- take a closer look at the amount of hours that you're putting into this, right? I'll tell you, it's tough for me, too, because I have to edit all of the recaps. So Brian writes the recap. I, we post it on CBS Sports. Silver King, hardest working man at CBS. So the tough part is I'm watching the NBA Finals. Brian's filing the Raw recap. I can't read it. Because I have to watch the show. Otherwise, I'm reading a spoiler and posting it. So I'm up until 2 a.m. Those are first world problems. But, Nick, if you're WWE, you're really going to open SmackDown with the colognes for 34 minutes? I mean, it's so funny because it was literally 34 minutes. Like, it was, I actually looked at the clock and I'm like, is it really lasting this long? And how about the dedication of our guy, Brian Campbell? Because I'll be honest here. Monday night. I watched the first hour of Raw. I'm locked into NBA Finals Game 5. And then you've got Brian live-tweeting Raw like it's the greatest Raw of all time while we've got LeBron and Steph Curry and Kevin Durant going head-to-head. That is the dedication of our guy, the Brian Campbell. Hey, those checks are still clearing. Welcome into In This Corner with Brian Campbell. This is the Professional Wrestling Edition. Now, this is how much we care care about you, dear listener. Not only are we going to have the regular Wednesday edition of In This Corner talking WWE and all things wrestling with you, but we are also going to have a special guest-only edition of In This Corner, a solo Brian Campbell production coming out later in this week as we tape this on Wednesday. You'll be able to find it wherever the hell you find your podcast coming up later this week. It features an interview with Austin Aries, plus a central figure coming up in the SmackDown pay-per-view Money in the Bank coming up on Sunday, so be on the lookout for that. Two wrestling editions of In This Corner coming up this week. Now me, I am handsome Nick Costos. I look good today, I feel good today, I always look good, and I always feel good, but enough about me. I am joined, as always, by my tag team partner. First off, he is the hardest working man in all of CBS. He is the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. And, of course, I am joined by the man whose name is on the marquee. Come on. He's the main event. Let's go. He's the icon. Bring it. He's the showstopper. One time. He is the bod that runs the pod. Give it to me. He is the mast that guides the cast. Stay hyped. Dear listener, there is no need to mope because our man is coming off the top rope. Truth. He is the Brian Campbell. Oh, yeah. BC, tell him what's on the podcast. Not to completely bury Horowitz ourselves like you did off the top, but do yourselves a favor and get some of this. We got another big show planned for you, and I'm not talking about Paul White as we set the (laughs) stage for Sunday's Money in the Bank pay-per-view and continue to further invade your personal space with a stinging injection of that performance-enhancing audio. You won't catch any back knee from this kind. There's no side effects with this podcast, just straight juice. So if you like what you hear, if you hear something, if you see something, it's time for you to say something. Like always, head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, review, 
Do us a favor and check out our boxing edition from this week as Rafe Bartholomew slides in to help me preview Saturday's Andre Ward, Sergey Kovalev rematch from Las Vegas. But without any further ado, it's time to jump back in that wrestling ring. Let me hand the keys over to the most passionate man in North America, handsome Nick Costas. And Nick, let's see if we can get this right for once. What part of South Florida are you recording from again? I am down by the beach. Boy, and as always, gentlemen, we begin our voyage with the main event. And the main event is actually the first thing that we saw on WWE programming this week. Very smart of WWE to say, you know what? We're not going to put Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe out there against the NBA Finals. It opens up Monday Night Raw. Brock Lesnar's first Raw appearance since the Raw after WrestleMania. A wild brawl with Samoa Joe that also included Paul Heyman. All the wrestlers come out to break them up. It was pretty effective. It was the best thing that we saw on Monday Night Raw. First word goes to the Brian Campbell. Yeah, smart, smart booking in terms of the placement opposite the finals, but just smart booking in general. Brock, no one raises the rent on Raw quite like Brock. No one is better for business. And when you're not seeing him regularly, yes, it adds to his impact. He had a major impact in opening the show, not just because you wanted to see how he would respond to seeing his advocate get beaten down the week before by Samoa Joe and put in that coquina clutch, but just Brock walking out. And I know the pyro didn't go off. A lot of people didn't love that entrance as much, but just seeing Brock with that red belt around his waist. Only the second time we saw that. I mean, we haven't seen this guy since the night after WrestleMania. It had been a while. This is a smart way to, to operate your business, WWE, when you know, like we mentioned off the top, you're mailing in Raw. You are double mailing in SmackDown Live in a go-home episode this week. But at the very least, they gave the the, the people like me who review a Raw, they gave us our, our headline, they gave us our lead story. This was a intense brawl. This is chapter two in the build to this rivalry after last week and it's continuing to, to escalate to give me the feels and you know I love when Kurt Angle comes out and sends out those security guards those jobbers and they just get thrown oh about oh my like god nuts. And then Kurt has to go, let's get half the locker room out there. Because once I see Curtis Axel jumping in the ring being the voice of reason, you know I'm getting fired up that he's finally getting some airtime. A winner across the board. This is how you're raw, guys. And this, this episode did stink. But this is how you're raw with Brock right off the top. I'm back on WWE Network now, and I'm watching some Raws and SmackDowns from 2003. And a big portion of the storyline that's going on right there is Kurt Angle and Brock Lesnar. They're friends, they're enemies, they're frenemies. It's great. I was really hoping that Kurt Angle was going to get in there and hold Brock back. I know that's not his role, but I thought there would be some interaction between them, either afterwards saying to Paul and Lesnar, hey, you got to get him out of the arena. We can't have this tonight because you didn't see him for the rest of the show. We saw Joe later. So I kind of was hoping there was a little bit more from Brock, considering we haven't seen the guy in months. But it was the next logical step in an in already intense rivalry. And we say already intense. It's been two weeks. But I want to see this match more than most that I've wanted to see in quite a while. I just hope that WWE doesn't kind of just lay out. Because there are three more weeks until Great Balls of Fire. This is a five-week build. And they've done great work for the first two. So what's going to happen over the next three and I'm also just hoping that Samoa Joe, we're hearing this is going to be a one-off match. He has to get something over on Lesnar at some point during this build if he's not going to win. Maybe he gets him in, a, in the coquina clutch and Lesnar's about to tap, but something happens and, and he breaks out of it or, or Heyman jumps in or whatever. I'm excited to see where this goes, and this week was a really big step in that 
What do you think? Yeah, I, th- I thought it was pretty good. Um, obviously, it-, it gets you fired up because it's two great performers, and I loved what they did. It's the little things, right? The devil's often in the details, and I love the little detail of Paul coming out and, and basically talking about how Samoa Joe is the mutt, right? And Brock Lesnar is going to put him in his place, and Samoa Joe's music hits, and Samoa Joe strides down the ramp confidently, right? And this is why Samoa Joe's great, and I've said this. I'm not a TNA guy, and I didn't really get Samoa Joe at first. I get Samoa Joe now, and you see why he's such a valued performer, because he sold the hell out of that. He had no fear on his face, gets in the ring with Brock, and does that like exaggerated chest bump and knocks Brock backwards. That was really good. Then you get the pull-apart brawl, you get his promo a little later in the show. Man, those poor security guards, I actually tweeted this after it happened. It looked like Brock Lesnar literally took one of the guys' heads off. I mean, those poor guys got some stiff shots from Brock Lesnar, and you know, you said something, Silver King, that I hadn't thought about, which is the Brock um, angle past storyline. Those two obviously main evented WrestleMania 19. Maybe there's something up there. I've been disappointed with what I've seen from Kurt Angle as far as his mic work since he came back. Story for another time though. But as far as this goes, this was a clear home run and I think the only home run that WWE BC hit this week. I thought it was excellent and again, very smart of them to not put it up against the NBA Finals. And the only thing I would have said negative against this was sort of like, look, the, the, the pull-apart brawl where they constantly break free, that's the exact build that they use for Brock and The Undertaker ahead of SummerSlam 2015. And it was hot then, and when they went into that, my first sort of cynical side of me was like, oh, we're going to do the same thing all over again, and guess what? They're gonna, Brock's going to break free, and they're going to pull apart. And they did repeat that? But Samoa Joe being allowed to do essentially that sidekick to the face yeah. of Lesnar, like a leaping one. It almost reminded me of that famous uh, boxing moment when Trevor Burbick uh, got kicked in the face by Larry Holmes who jumped off the front of like a sedan outside. And he's like, Larry Holmes, kick me. It's one of the great moments in sort of random boxing history. It was just this random leaping kick out of nowhere. That was enough to differentiate where at the bottom line, it wasn't you know, something creative genius. It was just, let's have these two bulls stare down and break apart. But it did move the story along. It did keep you pumped up, even though there wasn't a lot of, like, gold details going on inside of there, outside of a couple good moments. Right, let me give you one point of contention for me, since you just hit us with one here. I don't really like the whole idea, and I think it works because it's Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe, and you referenced, like, the past one was Brock Lesnar and The Undertaker. And generally, when they do angles like this, it's two big-time performers, or else, why do you do it? I feel like it makes other guys on the roster look weak when they have to come out and separate Brock Lesnar and Samoa (laughs) Joe. Like, they aren't important enough to get that kind of treatment. And of course, they're not important enough to get that kind of treatment. But it's one thing to know that. It's another thing to, like, to tell your audience that. Well, you know what's funny? That wasn't as big of a deal when it was one roster. And you had just these jobbers that wouldn't be on TV otherwise running out. But now that the rosters are cut in half, you have guys that you're seeing throughout the show, like major guys. uh, I think I thought... I forgot who I saw, but mid-carters there. I think I saw one main eventer tag teams. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's Titus and Big Cass were out there, and I thought that looked bad because they're, right. you know, they're, they're in things right now. Correct. I it looked bad that uh, I believe it was Dash Wilder was out there, and he's got the broken jaw. Both of them or, are, or yeah. From the revival, or, or he is at least very shortly removed from the broken jaw, and you're like, I don't know if you know this, Dash, but Brock will sort of break a little bit past the storyline barrier, and you might just catch an elbow right back in that jaw if you're not careful. But, man, you know, I do pop when those bottom barrel Joe Bears come out, and look, obviously, no offense against Curtis Axel, but that's where he is. There were a few guys on his level. When those guys come running out, I get fired up. 
So I think that wraps up our discussion for main event number one for Monday Night Raw. You know who was absent on Monday Night Raw this week, guys? Finn Balor. He wasn't the only one, though. Also, Roman Reigns. And WWE made a bigger deal about Roman Reigns not being there. They're plugging him on Monday Night Raw next week. He's going to make his big announcement regarding his plans for SummerSlam. Of course, it's not going to be against Brock Lesnar because, again, they're saving that for WrestleMania as we all know. Now, also, John Cena... Now listed as a free agent, guys. We know he was on SmackDown. Now he could apparently go from back and forth from Raw to SmackDown. So, with Cena set to return on the 4th of July, SummerSlam coming up in August, and Roman Reigns set to announce his SummerSlam plans next week, do we feel like we could be heading towards Roman Reigns, John Cena at SummerSlam? Brian Campbell. Uh, look, this fired me up. The Silver King and I were, in fact, just, I believe it was yesterday, talking about this, sort of DMing each other, if you will, about this possibility where, hey, wait, hold on. Like, who is Roman actually going to be feuding with heading into the big one in August? I assumed, like a lot of people, it would be Finn Balor because how things played out on last week's Raw, where it was, okay, we got Wyatt and Rollins pairing up. We know that, you know, all right, that makes sense. All right, we got Brock. He's pairing up with with. With Joe, he's probably going to do work with Strowman when he gets back. Okay, Roman, wait, wait, wait. They're both not on the screen. And now with Cena coming back, man, you want to talk about activating that field spot. We know there is giant money, The one of those untapped feuds like we talked about, where there's money laying on a shelf. Obviously, Cena Reigns is one of those money laying on a shelf type of feuds, especially if you turn one of them heel or if you do sort of what I had always hoped which is present them both as baby faces in this but let them both act <laughs> like destructive heels so you get a really juicy spicy buildup. if this is the direction they're going if this is related to each other I would be absolutely fired up which I think anybody else would and this guy's would really raise the expectations for SummerSlam because we know we're not talking a, a lot about SummerSlam right now, even though it's getting closer. There's pay-per-views in the, in, in the meantime that will set things up. But even what we know now to fantasy book SummerSlam, I think it's enough to get yourself fired up because the one thing that the brand split does do well is building more main adventures, building more elite superstars that matter because of there's more belts flooding the field. And we could be looking at it, you know, a, a really, really get must-see, get-fired-up type of SummerSlam here. Do you guys have the same feeling, like like they're setting up stuff for Rain Cena? Uh, I don't think that they're setting stuff up for Rain Cena. I think we can hit this in two different ways, right? Number one is the fantasy booking angle that, that you just talked about, and I'll give my thoughts on that, Silver King, in a second as well. But as it concerns Reigns and Cena and the plans for this, I don't think that that's going to be the case. I, I, I don't know what they're going to do here with Reigns and Cena, but for some reason, and I just don't get the sense that that's what it's going to be because I think that where do you go from there if you do Reigns and Cena, right? If Cena's going to be this free agent and he's going to bounce from show to show, then it's important that he gets a win at SummerSlam, right, to sort of put himself over in his comeback. And obviously, you're not going to have Roman Reigns' job, and that's the issue, right? Who wins if Roman Reigns goes against John Cena? Roman Reigns has to win, and John Cena's not going to lose. So that's the reason why I don't think that they're going to do Cena versus Reigns at SummerSlam. So Cena Reigns, I agree with Nick, it's not going to happen. That's a WrestleMania 35 main event. I mean, you're not blowing that on a SummerSlam with a week of, uh, you know, a month of build, a month and a half of build. You're building a year to Reigns-Cena. That's the match that you want to see for maybe a unified title or for the Universal title or the WWE title at that event. You're not doing it for a non-title match at SmackDown where it's going to be the third or fourth match on the card. Oh, no, Rain scene is the main event. Well, no, it's, they the, do it. it's the main event. I'm just saying it's for what fans are really excited for, at least a lot of fans, it may be the third or fourth match on really? the card. Really? I think it'd be number one. Maybe. No, you might be right. But I want to talk more about 
these two things separately. And again, I'm going to separate them because we're, we're combining them just like we did kind of with the Angle and Enzo and Cass, you know, two whodunit type situations on Raw. So I'm separating them. I want to start it with John Cena. We don't know what John Cena being a free agent means because guess what? WWE hasn't explained it. They just threw it on a graphic and then they threw it on another graphic and then they talked about it, but they didn't say anything. So what does John Cena free agent mean? Does it mean he's going to sign a contract with one brand or the other? Why is he the only one that's a free agent in all of WWE? Um, and, and, or is he, does him being a free agent mean he's just signed to WWE and he gets to compete where he wants, when he wants. It's them again, inventing something out of thin air. It sounds to me like it's a ratings ploy for raw because those ratings are going down, but I don't necessarily know that either show needs John Cena on it. They're operating right now pretty well without him. Are the ratings going to spike because John Cena might show up on either raw or SmackDown any week? Yeah, probably. Brian, go ahead. Yeah. The ratings, obviously, we talked just just last week. How the ratings are at at like record, almost record low on Raw. You know, two of the last four weeks, let's say, you're really pushing down. When you begin to allow yourself to advertise John Cena, and you know he's going to be in a 20 minute match, either leading off the show or ending the show. Yeah, that that actually does. He's one of those rare guys that it does. So, so you've answered that question. So here's question number two: Why the hell is Roman Reigns an- announcing a SummerSlam plan, main event, whatever you want to call it? When he's not even booked for a match at Great Balls of Fire, we have, like Nick said, we haven't seen Finn Balor on Raw in two weeks. Where is he going, or is this just an opportunity for Braun Strowman to come back and attack him and say, I'm not done with you yet, just like he did last time? Yeah, it's interesting. There, there's some things in play. I think me jumping, you were right, me jumping the gun as a fan going, oh my God, Cena Reigns, you know, I didn't think about it. It, it could happen, though. I mean, it might, right? It might. That- Obviously, that's not going to happen now for all the you know reasons you said. You know, you need a big build for that. Although, let's remind ourselves, right, that last summer in that July pay-per-view, they did waste the Shield triple threat match in sort of a move-the-chains pay-per-view ahead of SummerSlam when that should have been Rollins, Reigns, Ambrose, the main event of SummerSlam in my mind. So that's just my two cents on that. They have wasted good things before, you know, rather than and just throw them out there. No, they're not going to waste that. So, yeah, where's Reigns going? Well, they use the announcement to, to get you to tune in. So that's a ratings ploy. The announcement just might as well be Balor, right? Because he has no other business right now. And Reigns Balor has a built-in start, which was last year when Balor made his roster debut and he pinned Reigns cleanly on the first night. And Reigns did that interview, which they don't normally do post-match interviews right outside the ring. And they did one and it was cool and it was weird. And Reigns said, I'm going to get him back for that. And I've always kept that in the back of my mind because, yeah, they sometimes do these things that that happens one week and then the storyline never reconnects down the road. But but it probably is an announcement of that. But, man, did the fan in me get a little bit poppy? Yeah, come on. That's, you got to be. It keeps you sane. You, I just watched six or seven hours of, of kind of meaningless content this week. I got to find something to pop off. Yeah, and, and I think that's the – and I think, Silver King, you answered your own question as you were as you were asking it. Why did they do it? Because we're talking about it now. That, that's why they did it because it gets you excited for Raw next week. And they're figuring let's not waste our like, – no, we're not firing bullets into nothingness. If the tree falls in the forest and no one's there to hear it, did it actually fall? That's sort of what this is. People weren't watching Raw on Monday night with the exception, of course, of, of YouTube who have to for your jobs. I was watching the NBA Finals. I'll admit it. Watched Raw on DVR uh, afterwards here. So we'll wait to see what happens with Cena. We'll wait to see what happens uh, with Roman Reigns next week. And I will say about the Cena free agent thing, and when I said that I, th- I, I think it's going to mean Cena bouncing from show to show, that is not a unique take by me. I've seen a lot of wrestling quote-unquote insiders sort of float that around. And I think Brian really slammed it home there. The ratings are down. He's the one guy, like the one real draw that they have like on that 
stratosphere and that stratosphere of uh, of draws. So I think it makes sense to get him on both shows now and get um get some more eyeballs on it right now with the ratings being what they are. One thing really quick. Do does is it just me or does it make way too much sense for John Cena to be fighting Jinder Mahal for the title at SummerSlam? Like isn't that where we're going? And if that's the case, might- then what's the free agent stuff? Like if that's where we're going to end up, which I just think is the most natural obvious thing of all time, what's what is this? So I guess we're like you said, they're, get, they're getting us talking about it. They want us to tune in, and they want to answer these questions. And the SummerSlam, I think, fantasy booking, Brian, is fascinating because this roster is stacked right now, and there's oh, yeah. so much cool stuff that they can do. And I have a lot of confidence right now. And look, the shows suck this week. Raw and SmackDown were both brutal this week. And listen, we're, we're honest when it's good, and we're honest when it's bad. We're not the type of podcast that is going to come out and bash the product for the sake of bashing it. If it's good, we say it's good. If it's bad, we say it's bad. This week, it was bad. But I have a lot of confidence right now, Brian, and I know you do too that SummerSlam should be pretty damn good come the end of August. Right, and it just quickly, you know, we're not going to go 20 minutes sort of booking this, but just, you know, two-minute talk here. You look at the potential of what could be the one, two, and three biggest matches on the card, man. I mean, if it's if it's Brock Lesnar, Braun Strowman for a title in one big match, and it's, uh, you know, let's say it was, let's say it was Cena, Mahal on the other side. Which would be great. Look at how many extra players you have, whether you're right in the middle of a, a Roman Reigns, Finn Balor feud, and you grab a couple extra superstars and put a multi-match together. I mean, you consider, you know, is Triple H going to come back? Is there something to do here with this Corey Graves, Kurt Angle thing, which we're going to get to into shortly? I just think there's a lot of pawns on board now where, man, you know, you can go a long way switching it out. What would be in your eyes right now, Nick, of all the players out there on the board, what's the main event? Oh, it's, if it's not Rain Cena, it's Lesnar Strowman. And I don't think there's any doubt about it that that will be the match that ends up closing out uh, SummerSlam at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn come the end of August. Well, as long as they tell good stories ahead of time and get us fired up, this could be a big one. Cross your fingers. There's no injuries right now keeping us out of this. Let's go big, WWE, on SummerSlam. Let's make this WrestleMania Jace, which is what it should be. That's the jinx right there. The, yes, I, I never say that, that I word here <laughs> as it relates to WWE because now I feel like I'm going to sprain my ankle walking back to my desk after this podcast is over. That does it for the main event portion of In This Corner. We now move on to Hero or Zero, and with that, I turn the reins over to the Silver King. Hit us up with number one. Let's open up here with that Raw main event that we all are kind of not, you know, we didn't talk about. We just talked about Raw. We didn't talk about the main event. Two of three falls tag team title match. You had the new champs, Sheamus and Cesaro, defending against the Hardy Boys. We all know how it ended with a double countout for that third fall. Brian, here or zero for the entire main event and the finish. Look, this is just such a massive zero. It's not, you know, like they spent they spend all show booking and building this. You know, and at first you're like, oh, wow, the Hardy Boys in the main event. Okay, well, then something's going to happen to justify it. You were already getting the feeling as the show was building that this was a mail-in show. But you thought, okay, something is going to happen in this main event to further this storyline, to get me excited at the pay-per-view coming up, the great ball, hashtag WWE balls on July 9th, (laughs) that there will be a reason to be excited about this bout. And, of course, nothing happened. And it was... This main event was sort of raw, an encapsulation of Raw as a whole, and there were many frustrating segments from the from the whole women's, uh, you know, bad, awful women's talking segment, which out of nowhere turns into an eight-man women's tag match, which makes no sense. It was b- brutal to watch. Same thing happens with Miz and Ambrose in a bear costume. This was an encapsulation of how bad this whole show was. To build the two out of three stipulations and to have an okay match, I mean, there were moments, and you, and then to have a finish that did nothing and to not even have a moment after the finish that furthers a storyline, 
This could not be more of a zero and a massive fail. You have no excuse for this, WWE. I mean, give us something here. Yeah, I'm going to give a zero also, and Brian covered all a lot of the stuff that I wanted to say, so I'm going to gloss over that. Obviously, it was a throwaway. They're basically saying, no one's going to watch this. Let's just put something out there to put it out there, and that's essentially what this was here. The match itself was not bad because the four people involved were all pretty good, but the, that's not the point. And ultimately here, there's no storyline furthering here. All it means is we're going to get another match between these four, right? Another tag team match, probably at hashtag WWE balls. So I think that we will get that again here. But like, what the hell's going on with the Hardys here? And I've been saying this, banging this drum for a couple weeks now. At some point, there's going to have to be some storyline or character development with Matt and Jeff Hardy. Otherwise, it's going to turn into a full-blown nostalgia act. You get the backstage interview where Jeff's a little off on the mic. Why is he off on the mic? Because he hasn't spoken on the mic since they came back at WrestleMania. You've got Matt and he's Matt Hardy. He's not broken Matt Hardy. No one wants to see regular Matt Hardy. We want to crazy psychotic broken Matt Hardy and we're not getting that right now so it's a zero for all the reasons that BC gave you and I yeah. believe it's a zero for all the reasons that I just gave you I'm gonna one more thing on this WWE this is a current feud we just saw these guys in a pay-per-view match we're going to see these guys in a pay-per-view match stop rolling them out in an actual match on Raw like have if you have to do a singles match to further the storyline, that's fine. Or have the Hardys fight somebody else and you have Cesaro and Sheamus on commentary. And I know that formula is stale, but it at least furthers the storyline because we know the guys on commentary are going to interrupt at some point. There's going to be a brawl after the match. It's a stale formula, but it feels good. You're not, you're not let's say, uh, fatigued by seeing the same guys in the ring. This is the perfect kind of match that fatigues rivalries, and I dislike strongly when you just have people wrestle on Raw and SmackDown for no reason, especially when it's the same match of a current feud. Stop doing this. I know you have many writers on your stable. Allow them to work, please. I, th I think the good news here is that nobody watched it, so I think that it's probably going to be all right because everyone except for you two was watching the NBA Finals on Monday night. Silver King, Hero Zero, number two. Also on Raw, I kind of feel a little vindicated here because we saw a little bit of a different side of Bailey, even though it was the same side of Bailey. Bailey looked good. Con good contradiction of yourself there. And no, no, just like three seconds of talking. No, that was good because it worked. Because it worked. She was a little pathetic. She was a little weird, and she was a little awkward in that interview with Corey Graves, who was asking her, "Hey Bailey, why can't you get extreme? Why can't you woman up and, and get a big one in over Alexa Bliss?" So I want to know, Nick. Hero zero on that interview and the awkward hug at the end. Oh, it's a zero. It was horrendous. And the only way it becomes a hero, and I will hold out full judgment on this. I'm like 9.99 out of 10 judgment on this. They still have a chance to rescue this. I don't think it's going to happen, but they could rescue it. Silver King with the layout that you have brought up a couple times where she goes the NXT storyline where she's this underdog and it builds up to her finally becoming extreme at the end. I don't have faith in A, creative to pull it off, and B, I don't have faith in Bailey the performer to pull it off. So this is definitely a zero. She was very bad in this interview. Besides for the fact that the material itself was bad, her delivery was poor. She just doesn't make you believe that she should be out there in the ring with an Alexa Bliss. And there's the thing about it. Like, wrestling's fake, right? And I know wrestling's fake. And still, I'm here watching thinking she doesn't belong in the ring with these girls because she's such a bad actress and her gimmick is so bad that I think that they have really... They have buried her completely, and I said it after in their instant analysis pod after the last pay-per-view. If this were real sports, you would send Bailey down to the minors 
She's a minor leaguer at this point. She's not a major league player. I think you saw it again. This was horrendous. The only uh, saving grace from this interview with Graves and Bailey was Graves' ad lib at the end. I think I need a cigarette, which actually made me chuckle. <laughs> Other than that, Brian, a total disaster. Zero. Yeah, you, you nailed it perfectly. Look, it's obviously a major zero. It's one thing to bury somebody with the booking, which would allow you to set up a comeback angle, right? You think about you even think about John Cena taking all those suplexes at SummerSlam against Brock Lesnar in 2014, and then they build up that angle. Does Cena still have it? You know, you had a panel with Michaels, Flair, and Hogan debating, does Cena still have it? It starts to endear you to Cena. We love this guy. Does he still have it? It's one thing to bury somebody in the booking, but now this week they buried Bailey's character. They made her creepy and unlikable. That hug thing, it was creepy. It was. They made her look yeah. dumb. Everything about this was bad. This wasn't Dan O'Brien getting held down by the authority, being called a you know a B minus or C plus player, or whatever that whole storyline gimmick was. Where again, you're still cheering for an endearing Daniel O'Brien to finally get an opportunity. This week they buried the character and actually put the dirt back on top and sealed the hole in the ground. I no longer want to see her on the main roster at all, and I feel bad saying that she is buried because it's not even a likable situation anymore. She's creepy and it's just not working. <laughs> <laughs> she is no but you're right like i'm laughing because it's like she's creepy like it's weird like let me give you a hug at the end of it she's going i this isn't me i just want to go out there and give hugs well why are you in a business then where you have to beat people up for a living like it's fake and like as a wrestling fan we say you suspend your logic right sometimes when you watch wrestling but this is too over the top i think even for the three of us three hardened wizened jaded wrestling fans all in our 30s zero all around silver king number three talking about someone who has been over the top a lot recently we have bray wyatt and his promo again on raw with seth rollins i personally thought it was the best thing we've seen from bray in terms of an in-ring promo as of late but brian i'm curious what you think here or zero we're back, baby. Big time hero. Bray is back. I'm not going to oversell it, right? It was what it was. A good promo. You're right. It wasn't great. It was a good, really good, strong promo. We're back on the rails because this is a believable situation. It's believable that Seth Rollins would be a little bit too cocky, right? Oh, come on, Bray. We've heard your, you know, your tale before. We've heard you're talking about yourself like you're a god. You know, oh, just because I blasphemed your name, you're really going to get that offended? But they stuck with who Bray is trying to be in this character right now. He's trying to be a dark, you know, dark spiritual overlord guy who actually believes he's a satanic god, right? They stuck to that, and him disappearing at the end, which is probably a good use of his magical powers, right? Like bringing, bringing, uh, you know, summoning maggots in the ring in WrestleMania, not a great use of his magical powers. Especially but since he jobbed. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and then jobbing, right, right? Like he did to Roman Reigns last week. But allowing the lights to turn off and him disappearing just at the point to sort of put fear and doubt in Seth's mind. The timing worked right. Him appearing back on the video screen after disappearing, it all worked right. For one week, we are back on board. And Nick, I think you'll agree with this because we talked off camera if you will but this will only work if something happens at the end of this if bray is the one going over and i think that hopefully wwe is smart enough to know that you can only bury this guy for so many weeks and months you can take my theory last week of of is this just his lot in life is he just gonna be a bully heel who keeps getting buried no you gotta break that seal and break the ice and let him go over and i think seth is the right guy who you can let him go over against in the long run Bobby silver king when you're judging the scoring here it should be noted that brian campbell stole my material that i was going to use he, he basically does, said he, before he did it hey i'm gonna steal your material he does this a lot and now i'm gonna steal your material and he just did that he is the greatest he is the brian campbell now i know that like li regular listeners of the podcast will be surprised to hear this because I have been killing Bray Wyatt and killing the direction of his character. 
I thought the promo was pretty good. And I hated it at first, but by the end, I was like, that was actually, that was pretty solid. I was actually sort of buying into it. And the thing that I liked about it is they're stop, they're not, they're no longer actually portraying Bray as this supernatural being. He's now being portrayed as a crackpot, just a dude who is delusional and thinks that he's the supernatural being. And I like that because it adds an element of insanity and danger to Bray Wyatt. I'm going to hold out judgment on this. I don't want to say that this was a full-on hero because I'm worried about what's going to happen. And that means that Seth Rollins goes over and Bray Wyatt's buried again. This and works. And I did your finisher big time. You Sorry did. About and, that, that. and that's okay, buddy. It only works if Bray Wyatt goes over. And this is the start of a push for Bray Wyatt. So I am willing here as a Bray Wyatt critic, as a critic of the way that WWE has booked Bray Wyatt, I am willing here to suspend my judgment on this until the pay-per-view match that these two have, which will probably be at hashtag WWE balls. If Bray Wyatt wins that match, I'm back in on Bray Wyatt, the character. I'm back in on Bray Wyatt, if and only if that happens. Silver King, Hero or Zero, number four. So we still have the unsolved mysteries going on on Monday Night Raw. And whether they're going to last until Great Balls of Fire or SummerSlam, who knows at this point. But we got two. One is Enzo and Cass. We're seeing the you know, addition of the big show and some jealousy coming from Big Cass there. And we have Kurt Angle with the Corey Graves, splash of Corey Graves. And others are now criticizing Kurt Angle for not doing his job because he's distracted. What do we think of the way these mysteries are unfolding and what are our hopes for them going forward? Nick, hero or zero? All right, um, I'm going to go zero on Enzo Cass, hero on Angle Graves. I liked the Enzo Cass storyline when it when they first did it and regular listeners will know that because we, we all praised it when it first happened, but we're reaching the point now where something's got to happen. Now we are four weeks in a row with one of these two cats getting attacked and you'd reach the point where if you're one of these guys, like you probably walk around with a security guard or at least looking <laughs> over your shoulder because it's just dumb at this point. Like, you keep getting attacked from behind on Raw. Why do they ever leave each other's side? Like, it's overkill right now. Like, it needs a new wrinkle or it needs resolution. And the other thing I don't like about it is when they first did it, it had sort of like a main event-ish type feel to it. Where are they going with it? The injection of the Big Show into this, I feel like, brings it down a little bit because Big Show, at this point in his career, is not someone that's going to elevate Enzo or elevate Cass unless what they're going to do is when Cass turns on Enzo, and I still think that's what it is, that Cass faked it the last couple weeks, Cass is the one that attacked him, and then they feed Big Show to Cass, and that's Cass's first singles program. Then it might be able to work both. So I still think that it's got a chance to work, but I didn't like the Enzo Cass stuff this week. As for the Angle Grave stuff, I have been a critic of Kurt Angle. I will continue to criticize him because he's not all the way back yet on the mic. He's not even close to what he was when he was performing, obviously. He's got to get better here. He's got to get better as a performer, as an actor, once again, in order to fully sell this stuff. But I like the wrinkle here. Silver King, you said it. Now we've got wrestlers bitching at Kurt Angle saying, you're not doing your job properly. They're setting something up, and I don't know what it is, and I like the unknown as a wrestling fan. So zero for Enzo Cass, slight hero for Angle and Corey Graves. I thought your analysis was was spot on. I had the grades flip, though. I gave a slight hero for Enzo and Cass, but I agreed with you that this is the last time they can get away with that stuff. It was a little bit too much this week. It still kept my attention. It still got me wondering. You had the revival lingering in the background again this time, which brings them back into the picture. But again, something has to happen. We must come to a conclusion. I've been backstage at WWE. There's no areas backstage where no one is where you could pull off an attack like that. You know where there is? You know what actually happens backstage? People like Rhino and Roman 
rain, stand in front of makeup with a bottle of water and spray their hair down for like 15 full minutes. I've seen it happen. That's what actually happens backstage. And the, by the way, the craft service table is incredible. And you can just stand there and just chow down and just like pick Dean Malenko's brain. It's, it's a fan's dream. It's fantastic. Slight hero, but they're end of the road. I actually gave a zero, though, to Angle and Graves. I think there's obviously great potential here. And you had almost every superstar rip Angle this week, which is building something. I just need to know more tangibly what's happening here. And everybody's hitting me up on Twitter saying, don't you see it's going to be Triple H and they're, they're going to do a match. They, it's fine. I just need a little bit more right now because even though Miz sort of mentioned it, you know, sort of cryptically during his interview and Angle sort of said, you know, during that backstage segment, Angle's like, well, why, you know, why are you talking about that? I'm still left as a viewer going, yeah, why are you talking about that? Give me a little bit more to bite down on. Let me know where you're going. Slight zero on the back. Wait, can I, wait real quick here, because you hit me on this a couple weeks ago on the Elias Samson thing when I was talking and, and you said, like they actually got you like you marked out like you're marking out right now like you want more like they it did its job then right that uh, you know that might be a fair point i'm always suspect to that i'm always going to leave that blind spot open that field spot is wide open right so you can come in and give me a samoa joe sidekick to the field spot there i'm open for that i may have gotten caught again you're right i'm i, I want to know what's going on here i want to know so yeah, maybe maybe that slight zero should be a hero. I probably lose this one on the Silver King scorecard in the end. And just for the record here, if you're going to hit one of us in the face with a sidekick, make sure it's Brian Campbell because he's the only one that wants to be kicked in the face. I don't either. Does Silver King, Silver King, hero or zero, number five, our final one. Yeah, BC called that. He lost that one. All right, we're going to take a step away from WWE. We don't do it often, but when we do, it's for a good reason. And we're going to head over to New Japan because Okada and Kenny Omega 2 – was it the greatest match ever? This was the second match between these two. First one, obviously, came up in January. This was a 60-minute Broadway. And according to Dave Meltzer, who, you know, all shouts out to Dave Meltzer uh, and the wrestling. The, the, the gold standard the gold of standard. wrestling insiders. He, he gave the first one a six-star rating, and he said this one was even better. Brian, was it even better? And where do these guys stand in the world of professional wrestling right now? Hero for the match in these two or zero? Okay, the idea of is this the greatest match ever, based on what we said, Mel what Meltzer said there, hero or zero. I got to go in between. I got to give you a habanero. It's not a hero or a zero, but it's red hot. And I say that because I didn't watch the full 60-minute Broadway, we, although I'll give a shout-out. A couple guys slid in my DMs offering me their new Japan username and password. So shout-out to those guys nice. illegally trying to get me on board. It comes down to this, though. We talked about a lot. There's only so much time in the week. I will catch up and watch this match. These two are building an epic rivalry. And for anyone who hasn't made the leap, and I know a lot of our listeners are, are deeper into NJPW than, than any of the three of us are, but when you cross over and do that, if you have the time, yes, it is worth it. The wrestling is incredible. And Okada and Kenny Omegas in particular, Okada's sort of Japan's version of Roman Reigns, built him up at first and gave him a big push. The fans didn't like it, but he's repaired himself in a way that Reigns hasn't fully yet in WWE in terms of his his you know representation and reputation they are putting on classics with each other I saw a lot of the 60 minute Broadway I saw a lot of good clips of it I'm fired up to catch the whole thing it's justified to be in this category, to be in this category of, of Meltzer giving the first one his first ever six-star rating. I don't know yet if this second one is better, but I do know this. We did drop the ball a couple weeks ago in our DM question when we said, you know, you're starting a new promotion. Who would you pick? We, we identified guys like Reigns, like maybe a Rollins, like that. Kenny Omega at 33 really is in that category, and his New Japan contract was up earlier in this year, right after that first match with Okada. Remember Cena had that tweet before WrestleMania, like mid-major 
you think Kenny Omega was going to be at WrestleMania, perhaps? Exactly, and he considered it, and in the end, he wanted to be separate and special and do something different, and New Japan does have designs. They're going to have a big show in California coming up. They have designs on coming to America and doing some big stuff. We know you can already view their product on Access, was it Access TV. Yes. You know, used to have Jim Ross on the commentary, Mo Ronaldo. It's a great product. They could do some big things. They obviously don't have the reach of WWE. I'm going to just pause on whether this is the greatest match ever until I do a little more research. But I will say this. As a boxing fan, as a wrestling fan, a lot of times I tell people who aren't fans that are in my circle of life, hey, man, you got to watch this fight or you got to watch this match. A lot of times they either don't watch it or they go, yeah, it wasn't my thing. I've told people about that first Okada Omega one. And I'd have people I never would have guessed that came back to me a couple weeks later and said, that match kind of not only changed my life, but it made me want to watch wrestling all the time again. New Japan does something that WWE doesn't do in terms of their in-ring products. It's the perfect mix of the pro and the indie style together. It's fantastic. Habanero on this, red hot to be continued if it's the greatest one ever. So I feel comfortable. I don't normally like to speak for people, but I'm going to speak for Silver King here, and I'm going to speak for myself as well when I say this. Here's the problem, right, with with the way that the product is right now in general and with, with just life in general, I think, for a lot of people, and I think a lot of the listeners can sort of commiserate and relate to what I'm about to say here. On Sunday, I- I'm with a girl all day. Uh, Monday, I've got NBA well, finals at night. I've got, look at you. You swiped, you swiped right for one. I swiped right? right. I like to swipe right all the time. Silver King's got stuff going on in his life, right? And like when the NBA Finals are on, I host an NBA show here at, here at CBS. Silver King is one of the, the, the big reasons why our site looks and, and reads as, as well as it does. Like Silver King is behind the scenes doing so much great work for CBSSports.com. I've got stuff going on that I've got to watch for the other responsibilities I have here. So it's difficult for us to sort of invest in a product that's not WWE because we don't necessarily, there are only so many hours in the day, but I will say this, with things like this, um, Okada Omega, I've seen the first match, it was ridiculously awesome, you should seek it out and find it. When we have matches like this, and this is me sort of, and Brian and I were texting about this yesterday just to sort of bring you behind the curtain here, I think it's kind of a bad job by me personally to not have really, because I just didn't have the time to watch it, and I, have, I I wasn't able to make the time. Like, last night on Tuesday night, we record this on a Wednesday, I'm watching Raw on DVR because I'm watching the NBA Finals, and then I have to watch SmackDown on DVR, and at that point, it's midnight, and I'm exhausted, and I have a full day of work today on Wednesday. I'm going to make more of an effort to watch some of this stuff so I'm able to talk about it on the podcast. Obviously, we've got the Brian Campbell who's on top of all of it, as he's told you. So he'll give you that, but Silver King and I will make more of the effort to do that. This week in particular was a little difficult for us, but I have seen Silver King. I don't know if you have as well. The first match between these two, every bit as good as people say it is. For me and my personal taste, Michael's Undertaker WrestleMania 25, still the greatest match ever. Um, I will hold out judgment, though, until I see Okada Omega Part 2. Did not see the first one. Uh, have not seen the second one. Going to make it a point by the end of this week to watch both. That's a two-hour investment you're getting from the Silver King. But because Nick and I didn't watch it, and because it was tied entering number five here on Hero Zero, BC gets the 3-2 to two win. Congratulations. Shocker. We're at a 3-1 record for the Brian Campbell. Yeah, shocker. Silver King uh, awards it to his guy, Brian Campbell, there. I don't think I'm ever going to win one of these again, and quite frankly, that's okay <laughs> because I'm more than all right with putting the Brian Campbell over. And let's put the Brian Campbell over a little bit more before we slide into DMs. As I said at the top of the program, this is our regular edition of the In This Corner podcast with Brian Campbell, talking professional wrestling. We're going to have a second guest-only edition of In This Corner dropping later this week featuring Austin Aries and a big-time player in Sunday's Money in the Bank SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view. Brian will talk to both of those superstars. Be on the lookout for that coming up later in the week. And with that, we slide into DMs. Before we get question number one, Brian, tell the listeners how they can get involved. 
Look, DM season is open. Them DMs are, are, are available. Swan dive right in there at B Campbell CBS. I know my settings are open. I want to get your questions. This is a podcast for the people, by the people. I can't speak for at the Costos or at Silverstein Adam, though. Are them DMs open? Oh, of course, the DMs are, are always open. I'm actually insulted by the question. So, again, at B Campbell CBS, at Silverstein Adam, I am at the Costos Silver King. Take it away, DM number one. And don't forget, guys, use hashtag in this corner as well if you just want to tweet them. Number one in the DMs, we're coming to Max B at You Can't See Me 4214. He wants to know if you could bring back one old school pay per view, what would it be? And I'm jumping in on this one because I know the guys are going to agree with me. I'm going to say it really quick. The answer is King of the Ring. It's ridiculous that it doesn't exist anymore. It's another way to make a star, and they could now use it to make a number one contender. Get rid of the cape. Get rid of the wand or whatever the heck that's called. Scepter. Scepter. Get rid of both. You should just, know that. Randy Savage cracked Ultimate Warrior in the head true. with it at Royal Rumble 91. Just name a king of WWE. Give them a title shot. Nick, do you agree with me? Uh, I, I think the King of the Ring should be back. I don't know if it merits its own pay-per-view. I think it could be a WWE Network exclusive, though, and I think that could be pretty cool. I think this is the problem, right, that we get, Bri, and I think you're going to agree with me here because the first thing that came to mind for me was Clash of the Champions, right? But WWE Network sort of allows you to do things like that and renders events like that superfluous now. So Clash of the Champions, for younger listeners, that was like a, an event in between pay-per-views that wasn't a pay-per-view, like a special mega show that WCW, or NWA used to hold. It's sort of in the technological age that we're in now. It's not needed anymore with all the network exclusives. That was what came to mind first. Mine, though, and I'm confident. You were confident we were going to say King of the Ring. I'm confident that Brian Campbell will agree with me on this one. We have not talked about it in advance. The answer, of course, is War Games. Give me War Games back. Give me War Games. Like, War Games is hell in a cell on steroids. And for the longer listeners that don't know what War Games is, check it out on WWE Network. There are some great War Games matches from WCW late 80s, early 90s, even a couple in the late 90s that aren't as good, but worth checking out. Brian, I would be shocked if you didn't agree with me. That was my answer, and they were fantastic. Look, it's two cages next to each other. The cages have a roof, hell in a cell style, but it's a low roof. So the cages, the, the roof is even a weapon in this. And you got to remember, these were great matches. It's five-on-five teams in almost a Royal Rumble style where every couple of minutes a new member is going to come out, and you don't know from which team they're going to come out. So it's a lot of two-on-one, three-on-two beatdowns. Guys usually wore jeans and and work boots because you know it was going to be a bloody affair. Two of these matches from, I believe it was 91, were five-star matches from Dave Meltzer. This worked. It's sort of the last bastion of WCW that we have not seen Vince bring on to WWE after he bought the company. We've seen them bring back Great American Bash, right? We've seen them bring back the original WCW Clash of Champions, rename it Clash of the Champions. You know, we had one, what, just in the past year. This is that sort of last... The last bastion of a great idea from WCW that Vince won't accept, I think just for nostalgic reasons, it would be really cool to see because it's two teams almost in a Survivor Series, but it's usually two teams that really had some invested hate in each other. It's usually the four horsemen on one side, and they've probably broken Dusty Rhodes' leg. And guess what? Dusty's like, let me get the Road Warriors. Let me get Sting. Let me get, uh, you know. Let me get my son, Dustin, to come in. Exactly. Let me get a suddenly babyface Lex Luger. And guess what? We're all bleeding, and we're all going in that cage, and really good things are going to happen. You could forget, though, when they did bring it back in the 97-98 area With when you had warrior. like Hollywood yeah. Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior Bad. disappearing in the cage, right? Awful. Through the trap door in the ring. And I, 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 could, I could do without that. But early 90s, late 80s war games is, is, the, is the bomb. Let's Come take on. a very quick trip down memory lane. The one that they did nail in the late 90s was when Kurt Hennig, Mr. Perfect in WWE, when he was Kurt Hennig in WCW, when he turned and joined the NWO. And I believe he turned on Flair and slammed the cage door on Ric Flair's head. I think that's what happened. 
but that was actually pretty cool. And you see WWE has borrowed some of the elements of that with Elimination Chamber where you wait every couple minutes and you don't know who's going to come out. So WWE has clearly stolen something from War Games here. I think it would be awesome if they brought it back. Brian Campbell agrees. Silver King wants King of the Ring. Silver King is wrong. And with that Silver King, <laughs> we move on to the second DM. Up next, we got Heel Matthew at Heel Matthew. He wants to know if there's a superstar that you find yourself rooting for as a fan, regardless of booking, creative storylines, etc. Just someone that you will pop for every time they're on. For him, it's Dolph Ziggler. It's the same for me. BC, who is it for you? Look, yeah, I've said this before. I've always from the from 1985 when I, you know, when I first got serious with the product, I'd have a love affair for these mid card quasi jobbers, guys who get, once in a while get an opportunity at a title and then they dip back down. I just love underdogs in my guy you know the past five ten years has really been the broski Zack Ryder and I don't hide that when he won the intercontinental title at the ladder match at Wrestlemania 31 no 32 32 in 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 Cowboy Stadium there I popped massive because he wasn't even supposed to be, be in that match he had really worked hard obviously the previous year to get in top level shake turn himself around he gets the last minute call in that match I popped like I was watching a sporting event and you know in in my my small time I'll alma mater college upset a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. I mean, it felt like that because it rewarded hard work. Giant Broski fan got the t-shirts living the life when he came back this week on SmackDown and reunited the hype bros. I popped big for it. I loved him on talking smack afterwards. I loved that. He sent out about 50 tweets that said, bro, I'm back. And he basically <laughs> tweeted that every, every person on the roster, he says it should be on a t-shirt. Zach Ryder's my guy. There's nothing you can say about it. All right. My, I love this question. The great question from heel Matthew, my all time favorite wrestler, as I've said, is Sean, Michaels, but I'm going to give a different answer here. Am I allowed to say the guy that I'm going to say here, guys? Is this like actually allowed? Can I say Chris Benoit or can I not say that? No, you can say I'm not removing him from history, guys. All right, you know I'm not. You're not taking OJ off the UFC record, but USC record books. Correct. Okay, so this is obviously like what Chris Benoit did is obviously heinous. I'm not going to go over it in any detail, and I think it's correct for WWE to scrub him out of their programming the way that they have because they they actually they can't have it like being a multi-billion dollar company that they can't do it a publicly traded they can't do it but back in the day guys do we remember when the internet wrestling community was first forming mid to late 90s right i was a wrestling snob one of the and i was in the iwc when the iwc first started and i was one of those guys that loved people like chris benoit the guys that could really work the smaller guys who necessarily weren't getting put over and this is a precursor i think to a lot of storylines we've seen recently you know most notably with daniel bryan and when chris benoit first came over from wcw to wwe i remember watching monday night raw and just praying that chris benoit would come out and attack the rock or attack austin and they did a program with benoit and the rock and i popped like you said bry like i was watching a sporting event so for me, it was always Chris Benoit until, of course, what happened with him and his family, which we will not rehash. But Michaels is my all-time favorite. But the one guy that I really had up until what happened was uh, the crippler, Chris Benoit. Up next, at Raw is Wardrobe. He wants to know, Nick, who would you book as the musical guest for WrestleMania 34? Well, I mean, it's going to be Flo Rida because Flo Rida has been at every <laughs> WrestleMania, I think, <laughs> since WrestleMania launched. So, um, who, yeah, because I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's, you know, give me, I, I got to be honest here. I don't care about stuff like this. Like, I know people like to get on their high horse and get the pitchforks out about all oh, the musical guests at WrestleMania. Who cares? Give me Flo Rida and Pitbull from now until the end of time, and I'll be a happy wrestling fan. Yeah, you know, he was not talking about driving when he was talking about no? the green No? What was he talking about, bud? There's a lot of kids in the crowd singing that song under the age of 10. 
I mean, he got the green light, Mama, and you know what that means. That's where we can leave it there. It always feels like WWE is a couple years behind. They always get somebody who's like after Mark, like it's you know it's after their prime. It's sort of like, oh, they got that guy. Like, oh, they got Puffy in like 2008. Great, right? It's always somebody urban. They're trying to connect with that market and cover up from their from their own maybe holes in their lineup there. Like you, Nick, I just don't care unless. It's the band who sang the DX theme, and that lead singer died R.I.P., so it's over for me. I just don't care. The answer is no one. They don't need a musical guest at WrestleMania. If WrestleMania's going to be eight hours, they do, and like it was well, last year. Well, if you're going to do it, and it's going to be in New Orleans, I want the Cash Money Millionaires. That's what I want. Up next from DJ Stunna at DJ underscore Stutta underscore. Too many underscores in your name. Pro tip, DJ Stutta. Delete at least one. Way too much. <laughs> He's been going back through the WWE Network like I have, but he came to the conclusion he believes Edge, just based on his career accolades, is a top 10 superstar of all time, and he's laying out the reasons. WWE champ, world heavyweight champ, IC, European, tag team on Raw and SmackDown, US. He won the money in the bank. He won the Royal Rumble, and he won the King of the Ring. He's done it all. BC, do you agree? Is Edge a top 10 WWE superstar of all time? He's not. But one thing he does have is a very, very good resume. And I think when, you know, this WrestleMania season, when we on CBS Sports, I put together a story essentially ranking, you know, who's really Wrestle Mr. WrestleMania. Let's rank the top, you know, 10 or 15 guys with the best resume. I, th- I believe I had Edge at number 10 because he'll even surprise you at how good his WrestleMania resume has been. A lot of very big matches. He was really a career overachiever, not just for that body type, but for really getting that gimmick over, being a believable big guy for not really being a big guy. And, you know, having the humorous side, I love everything he brought to the table. I love his career, even though it did get somewhat cut short. It's just like it's hard to get in that top 10. You know, in the past, in different projects or podcasts, I've given out my top 10 superstars of all time. And it's really hard to get in there. We are talking about guys that had major, major impacts. Edge was an incredible pro wrestler who was involved in some really big matches. He did humor. He did hardcore. He did all of that. But he did not cross over on the levels of some of the guys who deservedly are in the top 10. Very nice career. I like guys, his contemporaries, like Kurt Angle, a little bit better. But Edge I'd be fine with in the second half of my top 20. So there's some nuance in this answer. And I think the first thing that's worth noting here is that I agree with Brian, Edge is not in my top 10, and and I'll get into the reasons why. That's not an insult, though. So we're not hating on Edge to say that he's not in the top 10. And I agree, he's in the second half of the top 10, which would be second half, excuse me, of the top 20, from 10 to 20, 11 to 20, somewhere in that range. But DJ Studda, here's the issue with what you said. If this were real sports, like, yes, it's like to say Michael Jordan won six NBA championships and a host of MVP awards. That's real. This is fake. So it's like if Vince McMahon decides that he wants me to be the intercontinental champion and the world heavyweight champion, then I have those accolades, too. It's not like it's real sports and, like, he actually won those matches. Like, it's fake. So, like, Chris Jericho's 97 Intercontinental Championships, like, he didn't win those. Like, they decided beforehand, Chris Jericho, you're going to go out and win those. So, I don't know if I love, like, using the belts as sort of a measuring stick here because it's not real. Like, it's not a real sport. So, that's number one here. And I think if you... If you take and actually take the time and sit down and come up with a list, right, there's a number of guys that I think have to be there. You've got, in no particular order, Cena, Shawn Michaels, The Undertaker, The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Hulk Hogan, Randy Savage, Triple H. That's eight no-brainers, I think, that have to go ahead of Edge. So already then, you've got nine and ten. I think you could argue that Andre the Giant deserves inclusion there inside the top ten. I know that, Bri, you're not the biggest fan of this guy I'm about to mention, and neither am I, but you can make the argument that Bret Hart merits a spot inside the top ten. If Edge is in the top ten, 
He's number 10, and I think he falls just outside the top 10 for me. And with that, we transition to our preview of Money in the Bank coming up this Sunday night. Again, a special edition of In This Corner coming out later this week. Guest only, Brian Campbell interviewing Austin Aries and a key member of the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Be on the lookout for that. And guys, let's begin our preview with the Women's Money in the Bank ladder match. Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, Natalia, Carmella, and Tamina Snuka. Brian Campbell, you jacked for this one? I'm intrigued by this one. For all the reasons that we talked about, it's time to have this match in here. They did not do a great job at building it to make you extra excited, at creating hot fire, if you will. There's none of that, right? The intrigue is seeing whether these women can come together and give a match on the level that you'd expect for a Money in the Bank match, but also on the level for what the new age of women are doing with this sort of, you know, you look back at Sasha and Charlotte in the cage at Hell in a Cell last October. It's that match had some of its critics. I was not one of them. I thought it was a fantastic match. They did brutality. Well, they showed you intensity. I want to see if they can do that here at MITB and give you that same type of excitement of last minute saves to prevent somebody from getting the belt. I think in the end though, when you look at the lineup, yeah, somebody like Carmella might be able to benefit from the strat from that briefcase around her to elevate her. But I think you have, have to go Charlotte here because you interrupted that Charlotte Naomi feud right when it felt like it could go somewhere. Charlotte's your number one person on this brand. Give it to the queen. I don't think Charlotte needs the briefcase in any way. She can get a title shot whenever she wants. And I understand that she's probably the most likely to go over. But for me, it's Carmella. I think the James Ellworth factor, you get him holding someone's leg who's about to climb up the ladder while Carmella runs up the other side. I think it's too obvious for me. Unlike you, I'm really excited for this match. They have Every time the women have been given an opportunity to do something, they almost always deliver. And I'm so happy that they're doing Money in the Bank with the SmackDown division, and it's not a Raw pay-per-view because these are the right women to have in this match. They're all young. They're all hungry. Natalia's a vet, yes, but she's, she lays it all out there every single week. I'm very excited for this match, plain and simple. I'm pumped for it as well. I will give my predicted winner. I don't think it's going to be Charlotte, um, and I I do agree with Adam that uh, I don't think she needs the briefcase. I think she'll be the champion at some point anyway. She's the biggest star, whether she has the briefcase or not. I'm going to predict Natalia wins it. I think Natalia's going to win it. I think Natalia will cash in. I think Natalia will be the women's champ, and I think that they will build towards a Natalia-Charlotte match. You saw it on SmackDown. It was very good, about eight minutes long. You give those two 17 to 20 minutes, and I think you've got a really good match on on your hands and as for the women's championship Naomi is the champion she's obviously not in the money in the bank ladder match and neither is her opponent the dancing Lana Brian Campbell your thought on this one Look, I obviously ripped the the announcement of this and the debut of this last week for all the reasons I said about Lana being a great valet I don't want to see her in the ring cuz I have such low expectations I'll give her this though this week on Smackdown she did raise those expectations. She did sort of look good. She debuted her finisher, picked up Naomi in what looked like it was going to be almost an exploder suplex, and then transitioned it into some form of a Michinoku driver. And you know I love a Michinoku driver ending on there. She pulled it off well. So I do have to pull back some of my initial angst, but I will say this. By pulling that one move off well, she did raise the ante of expectations that she will be good in the ring. And she has to be good in the ring to not only make the idea of her being a wrestler work but justify her just walking in there and getting a title shot for no reason which I know we look over a lot that a lot it's pro wrestling who cares but she just walked off as a valet right into a title match I still think she's going to fail to meet those expectations so I still have a down feeling here but certainly I don't see her going over and winning the belt 
I don't know which way they're going to go, how they're going to allow her to straight up lose and still look good. Is Rusev going to be a part? I mean, where is this guy, right? Where is he? We, he was talking trash over, over video to Shane McMahon. Now, he's, now there's no program with him. He's not around at all. Interesting where they go from this. I just have such low expectations. Uh, I think the match is going to be terrible. Silver King, if you have anything to add, we will move on if not. I did pop for the Michinoku driver or sit-down powerbomb, whatever you want to call it, uh, but Naomi's keeping the strap. And, no the, and the match is going to be very, very, very bad. But a match that won't be bad that I'm expecting to be pretty good, Bri, the Usos defending their tag team championships against the New Day. Yeah, this is going to be spectacular. I mean, the Usos has looked, have looked really good in the build, obviously. We talked a lot about their promo style. It's not just the Uso penitentiary or the case of the Usos. I mean, they have really put together a presentation that's very strong. In a really bad episode of SmackDown, I thought the only part that really worked was that opening when the New Day came out with the horn section behind them. It was catchy. It felt like a pay-per-view feel. It was well done. The New Day will be better on the chase here, though. So I like the Usos to keep it because you need to keep the momentum. But I think we will see a match... Similar to the pair of matches we saw with the Usos and American Alpha building up toward WrestleMania, even though they didn't appear on WrestleMania, I think we will see a great match that will remind us that SmackDown is the better wrestling show. It's also the better tag team show. This should be a very, very good one. And I do like the way the commentators have been putting this over, JBL specifically, that these are the best two tag teams of the past half decade here in WWE, which might be a stretch, but I understand that they're trying to sell the pay-per-view coming up here. It should be a really good match. Bri, I agree with a lot of what you said here. I have nothing further to add. Silver King? You know, I think it's accurate, and I do think the Usos are the best tag team that WWE has had in the last half decade, and their new presentation, their new characters, their new gimmick – it has won me. It won me over day one, and every single week it gets better. Look, there's too many face tag teams on SmackDown, so giving New Day the straps just doesn't make any sense. And like you said, BC, they're better on the chase. I need the Usos to win here. I want the Usos to win here. They're going to win here. And I really, guys, I'll be honest. I want Jinder Mahal to successfully defend his WWE Championship <laughs> because I have become a huge Jinder Mahal mark. I'll get into that in here momentarily. But BC, he defends the championship against Randy Orton and Money in the Bank. Look, once again on SmackDown this week, one of the bright spots was Jinder Mahal, right? They kept it simple. Yes, it was sort of a variation of everything he's been doing in recent weeks, and, and he did get that RKO out of nowhere at the end, but I thought this was another great week for Jinder to just be put over at another level. Here's the thing. I think he has to keep the belt because they've invested a lot in this situation. If he doesn't have the belt, he doesn't have anything. So you need him to have the belt, and certainly Randy doesn't need to win it for the 14th or 15th time or whatever at this point. What I'm most intrigued about, and I am pretty heavily intrigued now, is the fact that they're finally bringing in something extra to this feud. And that something extra is Cowboy Bob Orton Jr., Randy's dad, who's going to be ringside in Randy's hometown of St. Louis on Sunday. We know people tend to go to tend to lose in their hometown in WWE history in recent years much, much more than they tend to win outside of Naomi at WrestleMania this year, of course. I like this because... It's everything I talked about. What's missing on the Mahal push? The the dastardly side of a heel attacking someone's family member. I don't know if it's going to lead to that, but to have Cowboy Bob in the front row and have him in a spot where he's either disappointed at Randy losing or he gets straight up beaten down by Jinder or the, or the Singh brothers, there's some potential in here to take this feud into another level. It's time to let Jinder start hindering people and not just come out and flaunt his new culture. Let's do this thing. I'm, I'm more pumped up probably than I should be. Give me Jinder Mahal to win this match. This match is only successful for me if Jinder Mahal goes over. Yeah, Jinder has to win it. Uh, WWE, unlike some, you know they do in a lot of when they build these pay-per-view events, they actually do have me believing that Orton might possibly win. And the only reason for that is it is hometown. And as I've said the last few weeks on here, 
Jinder's really not killing it as champion. I know Nick disagrees. He was very, very this good on week, SmackDown this week. This week was his absolute best in-ring segment ever, before he had the title and since he's had and the title. And it was very well done with Orton coming out to give him the RKO as well. It was very well done. But So unless Vince just really is sure that Jinder is not the guy, and this was a failed experiment, he's keeping it. He probably keeps it to SummerSlam, and I do think he drops it to John Cena. Then I do want to point out one very quick thing. I was going to make this point earlier when we were talking about Naomi. Do you guys realize Naomi is the only face champion in WWE? WWE right now has 11 belts, including the UK, including the NXT. She is the only one that's a face. So, what? W- yeah, when are, think about it. Go through the list. When are they going to put the belts on faces? It Maybe at SummerSlam. Maybe they're waiting for that. For me, I think WWE is just doing such a better job building heels no than question. they are faces right now. And Jinder Mahal is proof of that great point and that, that does set you up for SummerSlam where that's the right platform to the, for the faces to go over there's no question good 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 catch there Silver King and I, and I did like again just to reiterate the Jinder Orton segment I thought was very solid on Smackdown this yeah. week and I actually popped when Orton came out and hit him with the RKO which tells you they're doing something right and of course the main event the money in the bank ladder match AJ Styles Kevin Owens Shinsuke Nakamura Dolph Ziggler Baron Corbin and Sami Zayn, Brian, I think that I can speak for all three of us when I say that if this match does not hit at least four stars, we're all going to be pretty disappointed, right? Yeah, yeah, it's got it's got to be four four and a half for me to really work, and you have the right workers to to get that. So that's the foundation they've built. Build, you know, again, I've I've been complaining in recent weeks. Not a great build, but then again. How much can you build a Money in the Bank match? You gave it away too early by announcing the names. There was no way to play into these spots. That was their decision. That's fine. Now it's all about who wins it, right? And you can make a lot of cases for different guys. I think you specifically, can you make a case for Baron Corbin, let's say? Of, could this be the thing that elevates him to a higher level than he has been? I don't think he's going over. I also don't think Styles going over for the same reason that you guys contested me believing that Charlotte would go over, right? Because he can get a title shot anytime. He's going to be in a main event every time he works. I just think they're more likely for the first time to let Charlotte win it, right? They're, they're big on putting her over in historical tenses, so that's why I think she wins it. So if Charlotte wins it on the women's side under my scenario, then somebody unlikely would have to win it on the men's side to balance it out. I predicted, which I think will stand true, one of these belts, men or women, will be cashed in on 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 Sunday night, and I think it, I think maybe there's a chance to be Charlotte, if, if, and the other one will be held for a while. And if the belt is going to be held for a while, let's give it to Dolph Ziggler because they made him a heel recently. He's looked the part. They just haven't given him anything to do with since turning him into a heel late last winter. Time to put it on Ziggler. We all know he probably had the greatest hash, the cash-in in history, which we constantly see the highlights on, on SmackDown about. This would Why elevate do you keep without- calling it that? Like you sound like it was not the greatest cash in history. The Rollins is the greatest. Like why? It's like the revisionist history here is unbelievable. The Dolph Ziggler catch. The Rollins WrestleMania one's the greatest one ever. WrestleMania main event Reigns and Lesnar. Like Rollins it's, like, it's not even down the ramp. to the main event of WrestleMania. Of course, it's the best one ever. <laughs> of course, I, I, I do stand on, down on that. You're right, but the whole point of, <laughs> of them promoting it as such, I think, is setting the table for him to do it. And it's like giving him a belt without giving him one, and he doesn't actually need to cash it in to win in the end. And I think it's time to let somebody carry it for a long time. This would certainly elevate Dolph back to that level. I like it. Uh, I don't think it's going to be Sami Zayn. They've been putting Sami Zayn over a lot recently, including in the main event of SmackDown this past week, once again, over Baron Corbin. I don't think it'll 
it'll be AJ Styles for the reason that Brian said. I don't think it's going to be Kevin Owens because he's the United States champion already. I don't think it's going to be Shinsuke Nakamura. A, because they gave you the tease of that at the end of SmackDown with him grabbing the briefcase. B, I don't think he's ready for that sort of spotlight just yet. I think they're going to build him a little bit more, and I don't think it's going to be Dolph Ziggler because I just don't see them giving it to him a second time. My pick to win this match is going to be Baron Corbin. I think that Vince obviously loves him. I like a lot of his heel work that he's done recently. I think Baron Corbin's going to go over in a classic match coming up on Sunday, and uh, we'll see how Baron Corbin does once he does indeed get that briefcase. That's my prediction. To Nick's point, they, WWE often has guys lose a couple times right before they give him a really big push or give him some you know, money in the bank or a Royal Rumble win or something like that. And what's Baron Corbin done? He's lost three times to Sami Zayn as of late. So by following that logic, he's going to win. But I wrote on my paper, Dolph Ziggler, by process of elimination, just like you guys. Style, you guys are nuts, style man. Doesn't need it. Styles doesn't need it. Nakamura, he doesn't have the mic work to make to have the briefcase be really effective and have all those potential cash-ins and all the trash talk, so on and so forth. Sami Zayn, Zayn's way too annoying to have it. Kevin Owens doesn't need it because of the U.S. title. So it is a Corbin or a Ziggler, and I think they're going to surprise us with Ziggler. And I'm not going to change my prediction for the women's match because Carmella is still my pick. But, Brian, you made a really, really good point about WWE liking, liking to give historical context to winners of the first ever X, Y, or Z. And that is why Charlotte or Becky Lynch may very well win that. That's a really good point. Outside of Jim Duggan winning the first Royal Rumble. Yeah, well, that was 1988. I don't think that they knew at that point that they were onto such a success here with the Royal Rumble, which is still going strong here in 2017. So we will have for you our Money in the Bank Instant Analysis Podcast that will be in your ears on Monday morning. And again, we'll plug it one more time, a special edition of In This Corner coming out with Brian Campbell. Later in the week, guest only, Austin Aries and a big-time player in the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. You'll have to wait to see who it is when you download it. So be on the lookout for that, plus our Instant Analysis Pod on Monday morning of Money in the Bank. And as always, gentlemen, we close right in the feel spot. Brian, what tickled your fancy this week in the world of professional wrestling? Look, uh, inside the, 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 the ring, inside the things that we've seen, two little moments. It's the little things, right? You said the devil's in the details. You're right. The little random one-liners make me pop, and I had to give it to this one. One of them is Titus expanding the Titus brand, trying hard to get a Kira Tozawa. We saw him, of course, on Raw. Picked Tozawa out of the crowd, which was hilarious to watch. But it was on 205 Live in that locker room segment where he continued the recruitment, and he sang to Tozawa, It's raining yen. Hallelujah. And just did the whole shtick. It, it pulled me in hook, line, and sinker. I loved it. I love the future of that, of course, because Tozawa heading into a program with Neville. It's going to be great. And then also on 205 Live, Austin Aries coming to the ring. Tony Nice crashing the party, showing off his new outfit, which which focuses directly on his ab muscles. And Aries looking at him going, oh, those are some impressive ab mu- muscles you got there. But tell me something. What, work, what workout did you do to finally grow a set? And to hear him say that on 205 Live and then have, have the hand gesture of hashtag Hashtag WWE balls. It just won me over. Aries is a comedic genius. It worked well. Minor field spots here, but I popped big. First of all, I want to give a shout out to at RRH0720. I just got a tweet on my iPhone. He just said, I am patiently waiting for that performance enhancing audio. Hashtag in this corner. We are recording right now. I saw your tweet. Shout out to you. My field spot this week, guys. It's not in the ring. I thought WWE Network had a great week outside of their actual wrestling shows. So not 205 Live, not NXT. 
Talking Smack was great, and them putting Shinsuke Nakamura on that table and giving him some time to speak and develop his character, show that he's funny, show that he has some personality, it was a really smart move because you don't have that kind of time on SmackDown. You can't put him in the ring with a mic with one other person for 10 minutes and have him talk to that length. But what he did on Talking Smack, for fans that watched it, you if you didn't already like Shinsuke Nakamura, he gave you plenty of reasons to like him. And the second thing that I loved was Corey Graves' shoot-ish interview with the Hardys. And this is going to calm a lot of Nick's concerns here because the Hardys, and Matt in particular, basically said the following. We are in legal situations with our broken universe. Whether they get worked out or not, you're going to see some good stuff coming to WWE like that coming soon. And he seemed very optimistic that something would get worked out and you would see some type of different universe and different characters from both of them as singles competitors in the relative near future. So them giving that little Easter egg on WWE Network for that and then also giving Shinsuke Nakamura talking time, which is not really expected. I popped for both of those this week. Yeah, Brian, yeah, I got to give it up for that Hardy thing real quick. And, and I talked to Silver King about this, how excited I was. That's the, you know, the elephant in the room, and they finally addressed that. Smart of the WWE to do that. And also to hear Matt say he's kind of bored being regular Matt Hardy. Like, that's not the is. best version of him. Yeah. Great stuff. Great stuff. Um, it's funny how on the same page we are, Brian, with a lot of this stuff here, because you wrote it's the little things, right? Raw sucked this week. SmackDown sucked this week. So there's not a lot of, like, we could all say Brock and Samoa Joe, but we try and pick something different here because we cover that in, in, uh, in detail in the uh, the main event segment of the uh, of the podcast. For me, two little things that happened in interviews. Number one, I thought Goldust did another great job uh, with his with his vignette this week, slamming our truth It's also very funny because the two of them talked about how, you know, how impatient they are and they just want to fight each other at this point. It's been like a month since Goldust attacked him. Like, have the match already if you want to. <laughs> but, but Goldust is doing some inspired work on the mic. And um, as someone that talks for a living, right, I can appreciate little things that they do. When he gives you that, like, three-second pregnant pause when he goes, and is, is it because I make you feel uncomfortable and I'm sitting there like my god this guy's a genius like he's brilliant his delivery is exceptional so that was the first thing I loved um Goldust this week and I actually really liked something that Nakamura did not on Talking Smack though during Smackdown the Sami Zayn AJ Styles Nakamura backstage segment where you said Zayn was annoying I actually thought that like he played it pretty pretty well oh, he's he, supposed to be correct yeah. where yeah, he was pl- he's playing that yeah, annoying yeah. character like let's do strategy well if I do this then they're going to do this but what if they do this then we'll do that and AJ sort of dismisses him Zayn leaves the picture it focuses on Nakamura and Styles. And look, I've been watching wrestling for a long time. I think you know what's coming. So you're waiting for the Nakamura one-liner, and I'm just praying in that moment that it's going to be good. And he smiles, right? And he goes, I like him. And you hear the crowd laughing. And I laughed because it was funny. And WWE needs to do more of that with Nakamura, and it will do a lot, I think, to sort of allay the fears that I and many others have had about Nakamura's character development. Nick, don't watch Talking Smack this week. They gave Nakamura the mic for a long time. And it was not good. Well, Silver King I just was said just it was saying good. it was good. You disagree? Are you not even paying attention? That was my feel spot. I loved it. What, Nakamura on Talking Smack? Yeah, I just said it. Look, Nakamura, the, the reason why it was good was this. Because they don't give him time to talk, and he can't have time to talk on SmackDown. It just, you can't listen to him try Wait, to- hold on, real, real quick, because you've, you've gone through this already. Bri, why did you not like it? I just didn't like it because uh, even though I like when Talking Smack, you get to see the real personality. Like, he couldn't talk, right? Like, he was... Incredible! There was incredible pregnant pauses to get three words out of his mouth. And even though he's a funny dude, I've interviewed him. 
every answer ends in a little bit of a joke. It was hard to get him out. They set him up well about that friendship he has with James Ellsworth, how he goes uh, surfing with him. And that was turned into about, it felt like a 20 minute story just to tell the, the details of how they tried to go surfing. I, I'm sure everybody, you know, listening in Gorilla was like, pull the plug, get this guy off. All right. So fascinating. Cause normally you get, normally like we all like sort of like, we don't normally are diametrically opposed on a certain segment. So I'm going to go out of my way to watch this this week. And maybe we'll talk about it next week or on the instant analysis pod or whatever the hell we get the chance. But that does it for this week's edition of In This Corner, the pro wrestling edition. Once again, two other podcasts this week for you to look forward to on the wrestling side of In This Corner with Brian Campbell. Brian's guest-only podcast with Austin Aries and a major player in the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. You want to know who it is? You got to subscribe. You got to download. You got to listen. And we would appreciate it if you would leave a review. Plus, coming up on Sunday night slash Monday morning, our instant analysis podcast of the Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Brian, what else do you have this week? Boxing or MMA for the listeners to look forward to. Yeah, like I mentioned, Ward Kovalev preview, big big boxing light heavyweight championship rematch on Saturday. Rafe Bartholomew jumps on with me on the boxing show to break it all down. Samson Simpson, right? I, I stick by my story. And Nick, if I wasn't <laughs> That's great. Jamaican, Sanka, then why else would I be wearing this hat? <laughs> no, he goes, then why, if I wasn't Jamaican, then why'd I be wearing this hat? Well, what part of Jamaica are you from? Just a classic movie. Go watch Half-Baked if you've never seen it. For the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, I am handsome Nick Costos. Brian, give him two words to take us out of this podcast. Well, one thing is we out. The other thing is shout out to Cedric Alexander's theme song. Man, it's so catchy. In the dark, I feel at home. We out. <laughs>